This is Jordan Edwards, and this is the Business Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. Good afternoon, Kit Dale. Uh, good, good morning. <laughs> good morning for you. You're in LA. I'm in New York. Uh, for those of you who don't know, although I'm sure everyone watching this will, Kit is a, uh, a legendary Australian black belt. Uh, under Yuri Samoz, you have been uh, or, or an active jiu-jitsu par- uh, practitioner, world champ, Australian champ. Um, I first came across you through some of your instructional work uh, back in around 2017 when you were finishing up your competitive career. And the first instructional I ever purchased was uh, your The Art of Learning Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, nice. That's awesome. Yeah. In advance of this uh, podcast, I went back and I, I was watching some of it and really, really impressive the way that you earned your black belt so quickly in four years. And one of the things that I think you leave out, although imply, is that not only did you earn your black belt quickly, but you were also competing at the highest levels and, and beating world champions. Yeah, yeah. I had a, uh, I had a very good run, I think, from the day I started jiu-jitsu to the day I got my black belt, which was really good. I was, I believe, the fastest in the world without having any um, prior grappling experience. There were some people that came through, like that went through the system really quickly, but they were already like judo black belts or they were, uh, you know, Olympic wrestlers or something like that. But I, I had no grappling experience uh, when I started. So I believe I was the fastest in the world, but it, <clears throat> it really has nothing to do with me. It was just very lucky that I stumbled across a a very good process of learning really so are you just incredible at everything you do you're a great actor you're a great jiu-jitsu practitioner you played aussie rules football was it oh did everything come easy to you Nah, not at all i mean it may seem like that from the outside but i just apply myself a lot when i'm doing stuff and i like to learn new things so i probably take a lot more risks in learning things than what the average person does um but it's it's really the process in which i use to learn that is the reason why it may seem from an outside that i'm very good at things there's a lot of stuff i'm really not good at there's a lot of stuff i hate which i never do like i mean if you if there was a competition for paperwork i'm probably the worst <laughs> in the world uh reading i'm not great uh <laughs> pronunciation uh grammar they're, they're some of my weaker points but it's just, i think anything i've been interested in and fascinated by i, I put a lot of work in and uh, and have been able to to reach very high levels in in those things but as i said it, it's it's more because of a process rather than myself but i mean I, of course i can't take credit away from you know a, a lot of its motivation as well you know if i'm motivated to learn something then i'm going to put the work in and and then use that process and and, and get good at it well, I'd love to just rewind a little bit because that process and your approach to learning, I think is fascinating and something that I'm trying to get at the heart of with this project, which is helping people who have excelled or love jujitsu uh, excel in another part of their life, which is business. And the parallels for me, I've never been a great jujitsu competitor, but over the past 12 years of training, all the lessons I've learned in jujitsu, I've brought with me over to the business world and I've, they've been very impactful for me in, in business. That was the motivation for the book. Um, but let's just rewind for a second. You grew up in Australia. Did you grow up in, a, in, a, in an athletic family or a, were your parents in, in business? What, what was it like growing up? Uh, I, I grew up with two younger brothers. Uh, one was a, a year and 10 months younger than the other one was about three years younger. Uh, I had some older cousins. So we grew up very, we grew up on farms. Uh, with not very, not very many people in the town. I think there was 54 students in total at my primary school. Uh, but I was very close to the family and mum had uh, 
five brothers and, and four sisters. Dad had two sisters and seven brothers. So there's a lot of uh, cousins around the same age. Uh, so we, we kind of grew up wrestling each other all the time at any kind of family function. So, you know, we were definitely uh, competitive and uh, and somewhat athletic. Um, but I, I think it was like it was a combination of athletic and very interested in film because m my mum and uh, her family had a video camera years ago, which is crazy because it was so long ago. And they were doing like sketch comedy back in the day. So we grew up watching them do sketch comedy. And then we thought that, you know, we want to do the same thing. So we got a camera when we were younger. So there was like a handful of like we were competing in different sports. We were uh, filming stuff, trying to make fight scenes, trying to do Star Wars scenes, trying to do wrestling stuff. Like as we watched, when I say wrestling, I mean WWE wrestling. Um, so we had like a mix of uh, Hollywood and uh, sport. And and we were all into, we did a lot of Australian rules football, mm -hmm. uh, AFL. Uh, there's probably a few people that have to Google what that is. It's like rugby, uh, but with, with no offsides. It moves a lot quicker. There's a lot of um, impact and a lot of running. Uh, I, I think, honestly, it's one of the most dangerous sports in the world because you get hit from behind a lot of the time or you get hit from a blind side. You might be sprinting this way and, like, looking, you know, going this way and you get hit from the front. I snapped this tooth. This tooth's fake. This one broke. I split my eyes open. I snapped my knee all in AFL. So we grew up playing AFL. I was always, like, I, I, I was kind of doing a few different things. I was doing karate. I was doing Aussie rules football. I, I played inline hockey, which is like ice hockey, just on rollerblades. Mm-hmm. And, and I noticed that whatever I kind of applied myself in, I, I started doing quite well. Uh, with the inline hockey, I was rep I was training for the state. In football, I ended up uh, representing the, the Vic East representative countryside, interleague. Uh, I won a couple of best and fairest. We won a lot of premierships. So I had a lot of success in that even before I went into jiu-jitsu. And then it was kind of trying to figure out, you know, what I did in football and, and and hockey and stuff to to uh, excel as fast as I can in um, jujitsu. And there was a couple of books that kind of helped with that. I think Tim Ferriss's uh, "The Four Hour Work Week" really helps, especially when you apply the Vilfredo Pareto rule that eighty percent of your results come from twenty percent of your actions. So I, I took a bit of a different approach to that, but I can't give myself complete credit because a lot of it was just due to the fact that I just found very little interest in the technical application of jiu-jitsu when it comes to drilling. Uh, I, I really found it extremely boring. I like jiu-jitsu. I like the problem-solving element of it, and I like the chess element of it where you have to strategically beat someone using problem-solving. Uh, I didn't like the idea of pre-rehearsing techniques and then trying to impose it on my my um, opponents. So what I, what I ended up doing, and like I said, this wasn't exactly as a a tool to learn faster. It was just I didn't like doing it. I would turn up late to the sessions when they finished doing the techniques, when they finished doing the drilling. And and honestly, our club didn't do a lot of drilling back then, which was good anyway. But I would turn up after the drilling and then I would get straight into the positional sparring or specific training where, you know, you start in a position. Let's say I start in guard and they have to pass and uh, we just go over and over and over again. And, uh, and what happened was... I was training far less than most people. And even during the, the live roles, I I sat out of a, a lot of that. I didn't like, the, you know, a lot of people just keep going. I kind of sat out. I'd have a break. I would talk to someone about something. We would talk about, you know, the philosophy of jiu-jitsu or anything like that. And then I would go back into it. So I wasn't training near as much as what most people were, but I was learning much faster. I was, and it, you could you could see it. 
but I wasn't doing like the drilling and I wasn't doing the technique side of training. So it kind of didn't really make sense. Even in my mind at the time, I'm like, it doesn't really make sense. I'm not really like, I'm training far less than these guys. And I know there's nothing special about me. Yeah. I'm learning literally four to five times faster than them. Uh, and so that kind of interested me in looking at, you know, learning or pedagogy. And uh, so I started a little bit of my own little study in learning and trying to figure out why I was excelling at this you know compared to other people with doing far less than what they're doing it didn't really make sense you know in my head it's like you know the people who work harder are going to succeed but it's it's not really the truth obviously it's a big part of it but it doesn't really work that way so i started studying learning and i started figuring out why i was learning as, as well as i was and it had very little to do with me and a lot more to do with the process of learning and uh and since then i've been trying to teach people how to apply that to whatever they're learning and uh, I've also been applying it to whatever I'm learning. I, I, do, I use the same thing in uh, online gaming. So I play that. I'm in like the top you know, couple percent of online gaming and I've only been doing it for less than a year. Um, there's a lot of uh, other things I was doing, uh, painting, same, you know, artwork, exactly the same. Um, even in my business, is, you know, is exactly the same. And it's really kind of using the tools that we were born with and whether, whether we were created or evolved to have. Um, you know, biologically, that's what they're made for. So I'm trying to teach people how to hack that and to learn much more, well, progress much faster, but also enjoy it and understand it a lot better, especially with jujitsu, because I think people sort of fall in the trap of being hand-fed techniques and then they rely on hand-fed techniques rather than being able to have the tools to be able to problem-solve your way through that. In return, developing more you know declarative understanding of what you're doing and the skill set as well so that you can even become a faster problem solver and figure out you know find more and more solutions i think on a on a broad scale when you first start jujitsu you know it's more important what you know you know who has the better you know who has more techniques who has more solutions for the situation then the higher you get it becomes a little bit more intricate where you will have a range of you know solutions they will have a range of solutions and whoever can one just you know, hide their own solution or read their opponent's solution is going to have a huge advantage so when it comes to <coughs> excuse me when it comes to jiu-jitsu one of the big reasons why i do so well while still being unfit and not really training like a professional is because i've become very good at one deceiving people with what i'm going to do being very unpredictable with what i'm going to do but being able to read what other people are going to do. And the moment you do that, it doesn't matter who's got more techniques, who's stronger, who's fitter, you have a huge advantage and you most likely will win. Mm. Very, very well said as it applies to learning across all, all fields. I want to rewind for a second there. You said something that once you began to see that you were moving faster than other people, you were fascinated and started looking into the practical application of how to learn. Uh, you brought up the four hour work week as an example. Were there any other books or people that you started to follow who shed some light on this? There's, there's a couple um, people. There's like a YouTube page that, that I really enjoy, which they're called Train Ugly. I think it's trainugly.com actually. And they have some really good videos explaining this. And uh, they use a lot of case studies that were made from um, various universities on why this is so effective. Uh, there's a book, uh, Skill and Acquisition in Sport, which is a really good read. It's a very tough read, but it's very good. Um, 
I, I read a whole heap of books. The Why by Simon Predick was really good, even though that mm-hmm. was more about business, but it, it really applies to jujitsu. You know, learning how to do something is learning how to do one thing. You know, when you learn why you're doing that, then you can do it many different ways. So if you understand the why, then you can change the how. Um, the uh, Did you ever cr- come across the art of learning? Yes, yes. I like the art of learning. I actually messaged, I emailed a few times, um, uh, Joshua Waitzkin back in the day, he, that was the inspiration to call it the art of learning jujitsu. Um, yeah, that was uh, one of my, like, my. Were you able to get in touch with Josh? Yeah, yeah. I, I emailed him. I was meant to catch up with him in New York. I just never went to New York. Yeah, um, but I, I would love to uh, one day, one day meet him for sure. Me too. He he's a, a person I've been trying to get in touch with for many years, and he's now off the radar for. To be get to, he does not want to be gotten in touch with. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I kind of feel that. I haven't like he has a uh, a great, but but for what he make for what he lacks in um, being able to get in touch with and speak with, he puts out his entire philosophy through a nonprofit, the the Art of the Learning Project, which has been so impactful in my life, and I, I've given it to so many people. And just talk about someone who's so generous with their findings, and. He could make, I mean, he probably makes a ton of money off of it, but he could sell that and he just puts it out there to the world. And I, I find that to be just incredibly generous of him. Yeah, no, he's, he's, he's an incredible person. No, I'm really grateful that I stumbled across his book. And uh, yeah, it gave me a lot of inspiration to to doing what I do. And I'm, I'm also, uh, the out, oh, sorry, uh, there was also another book, which was great, Malcolm Gladwell's uh, Outlier. And- Blink. Blink, yeah. Those Blink, you, you bring up Blink in your instructional, The Art of Learning Jiu-Jitsu, and that was one of the things that fascinated me about speaking with you is um, the influence of books on your life. One of your central teachings is about experiencing things and taking action on your learning and using principles versus techniques. Is that something you can explain in a little bit of depth? Yeah, yeah. So I'll, I'll kind of I'll explain the roundabout way like first when it comes to learning what i think most people need to understand is learning is a byproduct of a survival mechanism in the human body i mean that the, the only reason we learn is to survive and procreate that's that's what its main function is is to keep us alive uh when you understand that and you understand the role that the hyper the amygdala plays in learning then this is going to make it a lot easier for you to understand why you will learn better in certain situations so when it comes to uh to, to learning jiu-jitsu, one of the, the main factors in not doing drilling techniques is you have no kind of emotional uh, attachment to the techniques that you're doing. You have no emotional context to it. And the danger in that is your brain, your amygdala, decides what's important to learn and what's not important to learn based on your emotional status, so to speak. So let's say, uh, obviously, the reason for learning is for survival. Let's say if you get hit in the head with a baseball bat, you're going to be emotionally overwhelmed and your brain is going to go, okay, we need to remember as much of this situation as we can to stop this from happening in the future. Obviously, we don't want to get killed, okay? So it takes so much information, information that you didn't even know that you saw, smelt, or you know, tasted it on the on the day. It, it absorbs that information, and then you it can also work against you. You could end up having like PTSD and stuff like that, anxiety from it. But basically, what you want to start doing is you want to make sure that your emotional state is heightened when it comes to learning, so that your brain thinks that this is an important reason to absorb this information to survive in the future. So positional sparring compared to just learning a technique and practicing it over and over again is far more. 
uh, fundamental for your learning because you are emotionally engaged, you're emotionally aroused, you're excited, you're scared, you don't want to lose, you don't want to, you know, you want to win and everything that happens, you know, you have an emotional context to it because it's actually real. It's a real situation. So first off, your brain is going to absorb so much more information because it feels like it needs to to survive in the future. And this is why it doesn't matter when you, you know, people have always said you have to drill techniques to get good. And then I can give an example. Okay, well, I got better, I got better than anyone really quickly without ever doing that. So that's a lie straight away. You don't have to. I can understand why people want to because you can see, you know, changes in what you're doing right now. But if you follow that path, it doesn't work that well. And I'll explain it a little bit later. But um, first off, when you're doing like, and, and sorry, and all the guys that were drilling were also rolling with really good guys. So I, I feel that the drilling was not giving, that was like the 20%. No, that was like the 80% giving them 20% and the 20% giving them 80% was the the live rolling and the uh, positional sparring. And I say positional sparring more because I feel like that's more fundamental for learning because in live rolling, you might, you know, braze over a few different positions and you may, you know, sometimes you can get stuck under mount for five minutes and just be stuck there and you not learn a hell of a lot when you're doing positional sparring and you're starting from one area and your goal let's say you're starting from half guard and your goal is to do you know z you know and every time you mess up you get a chance to to practice that again so you're constantly learning through trial and error and problem solving every time you something happens you get a chance to sit there and go okay what happened there uh this is what happened and then you start developing declarative information which is super important and it's something that people don't really focus that much on so we, we sort of split the memories simplistically into two. You have procedural memory uh, and you have declarative memory. Procedural memory is what you would call like muscle memory and stuff like that. Declarative memory is anything that you can mentally declare. To give you an example of the difference, let's say I ask for your, your passcode to get in your house and you can't think of it, but you're like, hold on, let me just press it in the thing. And then suddenly you press it and it comes to you. That that would mean that you don't really have it stored in the declarative system. You have it stored in the procedural. Now, what people have been doing in jiu-jitsu is trying to hack the procedural store, storage. They've been trying to practice or reshape and rehearse, pre-shape and rehearse techniques that, in the hopes that they're going to react a lot faster in the moment and not have to think instead of practicing how to think faster in the moment because the thinking should be the most important part and the reason why is every single position is slightly different every single moment requires a new solution and when you're when you've pre-shaped it it's not really organic it's going to be forceful and you're going to you know you're going to have to impose that on your opponent which requires more strength because it's obvious um, but regardless, they think that the only way to develop muscle memory is through technical training in terms of drilling, but it's not. You're, what you're doing is you're actually tricking your brain and your body into believing that this unrealistic, I say unrealistic because it really is unrealistic, rehearsal of what's going to really happen is the truth, and it's not. It's a lie. It's a fabrication, and I'm, I'm grossly exaggerating in, in, in a way, but, but when you're rolling live, and when you're doing positional sparring and you don't know what's happening and they don't know what's happening, then everything that happens is live because it's real, because nothing is pre-shaped. Everything is based on you're trying to do something, he's trying to do something. It's very real. It's very live. So your body's going to develop procedural memory from that anyway. 
just like riding a bike. When you get on a bike as a kid, you're not sitting there and going, okay, I'm going to turn left to here and then left and right. You just follow and you just start moving and you start learning how to balance, how to accelerate, how to brake. And the same thing happens while rolling regardless. So we don't have to drill the techniques and it's more deceptive to your own body than what it is if you just kept rolling because you would start developing the same muscle memory. But the important part is the declarative memory. That's where we start learning how to problem solve. So when we do positional sparring and, and why I feel, feel like this is most important to use conceptual rules rather than technical rules is the conceptual rules are like the why. Okay, this is what I need to do. And here's like a little platform for sweeping. Let's say you're trying to sweep someone or take someone down. I know that the main concept for that is to remove someone's ability to post in a certain direction and be able to generate enough leverage to move them in that same direction. Like a table, if you take away one leg and push it in that same way, it's going to fall over. So I know that. So it's like an idea that I can follow this little blueprint, but what I can be is very flexible with the approach. I don't have to do it the same way. I can actually try and find multiple ways to do it and ways that I feel like he's not going to see coming that are, that are going to work. So when you start doing this and you start problem solving through situations rather than just trying to remember techniques that you were taught your brain does something it starts recalling information and the military called the OODA loop mm -hmm. basically like a, a cycle of of learning which is the first thing and i, I kind of just have my own words for it because I, I forgot theirs but the first thing is you do whenever you're in a position you analyze the situation what position am i in what position are they in okay what is my goal from this position then you come up with a solution. Okay, I'm in half guard and I want to pass his guard, so I'm going to try and do A, B, Z, whatever it is. Then you execute that solution. Then you evaluate its success. Did it work? Did it not work? Why did it work? Why didn't it work? How can I improve this? How can I refine this? And then what will happen is you'll take that new information and you go straight back to the start. And now you have new information to base on what you're going to analyze this either same position or new position. So then you go through it again, you analyze the situation, you come up with a solution, you execute, then you evaluate your success. And then we go again and then again and again. And this you're constantly doing this. So what happens is you're constantly using your brain. You're constantly learning things. You're constantly gathering new information and you're constantly stimulated emotionally. So your brain thinks it's really important to recall this information. Everything you're doing and recalling is live and honest. The feedback is completely honest. It's not like, you know, if you go ask your friend, like, oh, how do I look in this ridiculous shirt? And they're like, yeah, you look great. But they're just saying that compared to when you ask someone honestly, and like, that looks ridiculous. That's a lot more, you know, important for you to hear, even though it's a lot more upsetting. So sometimes we kind of steer to things that are going to make us feel better rather than honest feedback. And the reason why live training is so really, you know, really good is because it's real. Right. You know, and uh, and those were a, a couple factors. So what I try to do is I try to figure out what were these concepts, these underlying whys in all of these positions so that people have at least a, a formula to follow, really, you know, similar to mathematics. Like you have equations. It's like you can work out every equation in your head with a calculator or you could learn the formula and then you can work them out much faster. So what I try and do is uh, give people that formula so that they can start practicing and become quicker problem solvers and better problem solvers. They end up freeing themselves physically because they start finding things that work for them. And, you know, even myself and you are going to have different body types. We're going to have different attributes. 
and we really have to find solutions that suit those body types and suit those attributes and that's the danger when it comes to copying other one someone else's techniques is you're not an identical blueprint of that person so it's not going to always match perfectly what what you've just described uh as a, a fundamental approach for the way that you learn jujitsu is also the exact same description that i would give of entrepreneurship you if you were to tell someone how to be an entrepreneur i couldn't not possibly give you all of the tips tricks and tools and techniques to go do it but what I might do is give you a very simple framework to go out and say, this is how you're going to go start your business. You're going to learn and make, you're going to fuck up the whole way along. You're going to keep learning from those mistakes and getting better and better and better. But if you give them some simple principles to follow, like for example, and I'm, I'm interested to know what some of your, what are some of these for jujitsu, but in my business, for example, we tell people to, to just to treat people really well. Now that might be, that might sound like, oh, that's it? That's all you need me to do? But how often do you go into a business where they just can't figure it out? Uh, I was in Florida this past weekend. I walked into a haagen -Dazs. Now, as you know, in Florida, uh, they're not wearing masks any longer for, for quite some time. We didn't have masks on us, and we walked into haagen and there was no one in there, and the guy said, can you please put your mask on? And I was like, I don't have a mask. Do you have one for me? The guy was just having a terrible day. Uh, so treating people well in business is something that gets overlooked, especially the further down you get from the owner. So through the lens of entrepreneurship, you'd say something as simple as, I want you to treat people the way that they, they want to be treated. So in jujitsu, what are some of these simple truths that you found out? You mentioned in sweeping, you figured out um, maybe blocking a post was something that helped you go from maybe not understanding how to do every single sweep, every technical sweep, but once you figured out that you were able to just block a post, that you could probably sweep them from anywhere. What are some of your other universal truths? There's honestly so many, like like so many little rules and so many little tips so far. So I'll just blurt out some as they come to me. Like one thing is is to, it's kind of the opposite to what you're, you're saying there, but it's not opposite to sounds like be selfish. Right. Um, and what I mean by that is when I'm training with someone, they're going to be good and better in certain areas. And uh, for me, it's really important for for my progression to be selfish, but also egoless in a sense that, okay, I'm going to go into where he is the strongest, you know, where he has mm -hmm. an advantage because that's what the most, that's the area in which I could learn the most rather than me. I could go, oh, I'm going to go into my strong area and I'm going to beat him, but then I'm not going to learn as much. And I, I think um, uh, there was a guy that said this when he was talking to Elon Musk and he got a chance to meet Elon Musk and uh, he was talking about himself the whole time. He was so excited. He was speaking to him, and then, you know, thirty minutes in, Elon's like, oh, "Thank you for the conversation. I've got to run right now." It was great talking, and left. And then this guy realized the whole time he was talking about himself, and he had one of the smartest people in the world right next to him. He didn't learn anything off of him, you know. So, if you apply that to jujitsu, what I always try and do is, when I'm rolling with someone, especially someone new, I try and figure out really quickly where are they probably the best, and I try and force that so that I can I can get the most from him rather than him get the most from me. Uh, if I was more ego-centered, I would be like, no, I want him, I'm going to make him feel like my best game so I can win. But when mm -hmm. it comes to training, I, I feel like that's more important. There's also a couple other little things like um, that I, I tap a lot more in training. For example, and this used, used to happen, let's say someone mounts me in training and we're doing like competition rounds and I have like the best guy in the world mount me. 
And then I just sit there and I defend tighter. And he sits there for five minutes trying to do, to submit me. And maybe I escape, maybe he gets me. But I spent five minutes wasting my time where I could have like just, and this is what I used to do a lot. I would let people submit me. I would pretend like it's not, but I would be letting them submit me because I want to start again. Okay. I want to get another chance to to see what's going on here. I, I feel like I have very little to gain practicing my mount escape on you know, on you. I like it. Let's, let's go again. And I would just tap and give it to them. So I, like, I tell people to tap as often as they can. Also, it also gives you a, a better chance to learn from that. Uh, another thing would be... Uh, just accepting that you're going to fail a lot, and um, and this, I I can you would know this from business as well, and you said that before. With anything you want to be good at, you have to make a lot of mistakes. You know, as many mistakes as you can. Obviously, learn from them, but make them, and your body will naturally learn from most of them anyway. And you you know you're well capable enough to do it yourself. But like you have to make these mistakes and allow and allow the understanding that it's going to happen a lot. I, I started snowboarding recently. Uh, and my girl's been snowboarding all of her life, so she could snowboard really well. And when we first started, she tried to teach me some stuff, but none of it made any sense because I had no context to what she was saying. Uh, and which is an important thing when it comes to learning. You know, people think that the most important thing is how you learn things, whether it's visual, kinesthetic, and stuff, where it almost has no difference on any of those. What's most important is how you associate with the information. So if I'm talking to you about something you don't know, and uh, let's say I'm talking to you about games, like online, do you ever play online games? I don't. Okay, so if I was talking to you some like super, you know, technical words in on online gaming, you, it would go through one ear and out the other. It would make no sense to you, so you would just let it go. But if I can use very good analogies for that, then you're going to have a better chance of grasping regardless of that. She was telling me all this stuff, but it made no sense to me. Like I just couldn't understand it. So I would go and I would try and, you know, use her tips, but it made no sense. But what happened was I just went for it. I just started trying to snowboard. And I honestly, the first day I crashed probably 300 times. Now I'm in a lucky position where obviously I've done a lot of wrestling. So I'm, I'm and I'm solid. So I'm decent with my crashes. You know, I can survive more than like a 70 year old man trying to learn how to do it. Um, but that was where I started learning the most. You know, after a certain amount of crashes, you you start automatically adjusting, and it's not always conscious. Most of it's subconscious. Mm. You just you start rebalancing certain ways. You start moving certain ways, and because I knew I was going to suck, and I allowed myself as much time to suck as I can, I really kept pushing myself to the limits. You know, I didn't try and take it real slow and try and get everything right. I just kept trying to push it further and further. And it got to a state, I remember there was a friend with me and he was going behind me and he was thinking to myself, he's like, dude, and he was he was trying to speed up to me to tell me that I look like a pro, obviously he's exaggerating. But as he's speeding up, I just smashed, I hit like <laughs> on edge and I just went like face planted and he'd come up to tell me, but he's like, he laughed because as soon as I hit face, I just got banged straight back up and jumped back on. I didn't like have any, there was no time to like sit there and think about it. I was like, no, just keep going, keep going, keep going. Because it gets scary, you know, when you have a crash sometimes as well. But uh, point was like he was like he's like I couldn't believe you know you just you're just going for it and you're crashing and then just getting back on. But I got so much better at uh, at snowboarding and she, I think uh, she said she goes looks like you look like after two days that you've been doing it for six months. Yeah. Um, just be and it's because I probably made as much mistakes in those two days that most people do in six months mm. because I allowed myself to do that and I understand that and I think with jujitsu and business people get stunned stunted because they want to do everything perfect. And this is probably a byproduct of the industrial age model education system. But we have a feeling like, I want to start this. 
you're an expert. Okay, tell me exactly what to do. I don't want to make any mistakes. I want to start perfect. And it's like there is no right way or wrong way. It's just like there's certain ways that sometimes things work and you don't even know why in business and sometimes it's just perfect timing. And like you said, the most important thing is to give you like a conceptual blueprint of what you could do but, you know, that allows you the ability to change how you're doing it. So I, you know, I, I, I tell people in jiu-jitsu, there's techniques, okay, but I'll tell you one thing. No technique is foolproof. Every single technique can be countered and every single technique will and won't learn, uh, won't work, sorry. You know, and there's crazy things that'll work. That it may not be the best thing, but it's like what is more important is the timing of those. And to develop the timing, you need to start playing with it and really understand and problem solve your way through it. So go out there. Let's make as many mistakes as we can with you. And let's give you the the most opportunity to learn from those. So when I have new students, I'd never start them with techniques. The technique is it was what I teach them last. What I start with is, okay, let's play a little bit. Let's have some fun. Here's a game. I'm going to play him guard and you're going to try and pass. I know you don't have a clue how to do it and that's fine. And I don't expect you to be able to do it. You shouldn't be able to do it. But I want you to try. And then they start, like they first are tentative and they start trying. And then suddenly they throw your legs out of the way and they get so excited because they felt like they nearly got there. And they start absorbing more and more information. They start getting better. And I'll give them little tips. I'll say like, you know, maybe fix your posture. Maybe not stay on the flats of your feet. Try and get on your toes a little bit more. Bend your knees a little bit more. Straighten your back a little bit more. You know, use your elbows. Tuck your elbows in a little. You know, it could be little things like that I just see. Just ideas and little tips. Uh, But that's how I train them like consistently. And then... What happens is when I do teach them a technique, I wait for the time in which they're ready for it because when they're ready for it, they don't need to practice it. It's like it makes it's like a light bulb moment. You know, when someone says something to you and you're like, oh, and straight away you can absorb that information, you can apply it. The problem with most jujitsu and the reason why people have to train techniques is they don't have the declarative infrastructure in their mind uh, strong enough to be able to apply that information straight away. So what they do is they have no context of it, so they have to drill it and create muscle memory through just following a blueprint. Where when I teach my students, especially privates, something, I tell them and I show them, and they're like, yeah, cool, straight away, and they get it because I waited for them to be ready for it. And a a reason why is I remember there was a talk about uh, the declarative memory, and it, it works like a scaffolding system. And the bigger the scaffolding, the easier it is to apply new information because it'll stick to it. But the smaller the scaffolding, the harder it is to to apply new information. For example, what I said before about online gaming, if I start talking to you about that, uh, you're going to have such a little scaffolding. It'll just shoot through your brain. But if I got you to play a game for like three days straight and never told just got you, and then I start giving you this information, it's going to stick. You're going, ah, that's what he means. That's what he means. And this happens in reverse a lot in jiu-jitsu where someone tells you something, you know, in the first week or two of your training and then six months in you're like, oh, that's what he meant because your understanding was not ready for that. So that information was pointless back then. So what I try to get people to do is try and develop that declarative infrastructure of scaffolding so great that when I give them the new information, it's stuck. You don't need to practice it. It's already there. I had this conversation with Andre Galval one time where he showed me a technique, which is a great technique, and he's like, okay, practice it, kit, drill it. And I'm like, no, I don't need to. And he's like, no, 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 practice it. I'm like, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not being rude. I just don't need to. I saw exactly what you did, and I, I can do that right now. It, it just makes sense in my brain. Yet there was someone else there that learned through drilling all the time, and he was like, i got to practice that. So it, it just it helps you so much more, but it's very hard to – to understand how much it helps you until you feel what it's like to have information just stick so easily.
but you have to do the, the groundwork. Yeah. Um, Mark Zuckerberg has a very famous saying, move fast and break things. Uh, it's something that I try to use at my companies where a lot of times, especially younger employees are afraid to take risk. They're afraid to fail. They don't want to get in trouble. They think that they're going to get in trouble if they do something wrong. And quite the opposite. I love when people to use your metaphor of snowboarding, just crash, fall all over the place, you know, go crazy, go speed down the mountain. I mean, I don't want you to kill yourself, but I do want you to, to learn. I, I think that was a really great metaphor. Um, I think I'm uh, a big skier. So I, I do get, I do. Oh, no, no. Although I am fascinated with, with, uh, online gaming, I was going to ask you this question through the lens of acting, but if, if I could, maybe you could just online gaming is something I'm very fascinated by because I stopped playing video games, um, around middle school, maybe the beginning of high school and wrote it off as something that it was just a, you know, like a waste of time. It's very clear now that gaming is a multi-billion dollar, maybe approaching trillion dollar industry. There's going to be prof there's professional gamers. There's people who are making their living on Twitch. Um, it would be silly if my two-year-old son came to me in five years from now, eight years from now and said, I want to be a professional video gamer. I would have to take that seriously. Yes. Yes. Because it's a serious career now. Yeah. Very yeah. serious career. And, and so even though it's not something that I've done, I am very fascinated by it. So how did you come to online gaming? What made you want to take the step and how did you break Did you, I'm assuming you used the same approach to get into the top percentiles in gaming and what games do you play? So mainly I play Apex Legends and, uh, and probably Call of Duty Warzone, which are Battle Royale games. I, I just find them a lot more interesting because there's so many, it's so multifaceted where you will be a group of three or, you know, in, in Warzone, you could be one, two, three or four uh, and you have 60 other teams and you land on a huge map randomly and you have to find weapons, you have to find armor, you have to find bullets and then you basically have to survive and be the last person to survive. And as, as the time goes on, the ring gets smaller and smaller and smaller. And you can't be outside the ring or you die. So it's kind of forcing everyone in. It's like a last man standing situation, which is, mm. a, which is very fun. And it's, it's kind of the last five years. It's probably been the, the number one games that people are playing when it comes to shooters. Um, so I was in Sweden. I was teaching some jiu-jitsu seminars. And I met a really good friend of mine now, Ralph uh, Kahnborn, who's a He's a really, really good black belt. Him and his brother teach at Nakadojo in uh, in Sweden. And I was doing a seminar with him and we were talking about games because I liked games. And he said, I've got a virtual reality set up. Like, if you want to come around, we can go play. So I went and uh, tried it out. It was amazing. But what I did was I, I had a look at his computer and because I never played keyboard and mouse. I always played uh, controller and I only played very rarely. Like, it was just on and off over years just to keep myself occupied if I was doing something. And I couldn't believe the control that I had. Uh, I sucked, but like the control that I had in the keyboard and mouse was like, this is really exciting. So I came back and I, I bought a computer and then the pandemic hit. So I was like, well, I'm glad I got a computer right now because like at least I'm stuck home and I got, I got some stuff I can do. So then I made a goal. I was like, okay, I want to become one of the best you know, shooters in the world in this. So I, I just started gaming and gaming and I would I'd spend so much time doing it, watching the best people do it and just trying to like learn and learn. And, uh, and then yeah, I just, I started getting better and better and better. And then, um, you know, I had a big goals, but then as it opened up, I started doing a lot of other stuff and I got back into training jujitsu and I started, I've started boxing as well, which I'm really enjoying. Hmm. So I, I kind of like, I, I will go through little stages of like, I'll put, 
all my time into something and then I get a little bored and I'll do something else and something and that's been the story of my life. That's why I do like acting, gaming, jujitsu, boxing, snowboarding. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, I do a lot of different things. Art, I love painting, uh, writing, mm -hmm. I write stuff, film, sketch, comedy, trying to get into directing, but I, it's just whatever I'm focused on, which I'm trying to do. Um, but I, I just applied the same stuff. I just got on there. I just started gaming. I started filming myself doing it. And then you can watch like from the first films that I did. It was just, I was just trash to, uh, to now that sometimes I do stuff and I'm just like, how did I do that? That was so good. You know, but like, but like anything, there's so many variables in that. You have good days. You have bad days. It's a, it's a frustrating game. Uh, all Battle Royale is super frustrating because there are a lot of elements that are outside of your control. You have a thing called third partying, whereas like, let's say my team and your team are fighting and, and you know, it's a big fight, it's a big battle. And then maybe we just win, but we're so low on health. And then a fresh team just comes in and just goes, bop, 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 kills us, you know? So there, there's that element that's really frustrating. And, you know, what I found that, you know, at, at the start, the, the important thing is learning how to shoot. Okay. That's like important, you know, and that's what you're going to focus on, learning how to move and shoot. But the better you get, the more important game sense and positioning comes in and like little things that you would never think of. Like if we're having a fight, sometimes it's like, okay, this fight's not going anywhere anytime soon. Let's let's move. Let's just go. Let's leave this fight and come back to something else, you know, or rotate and do certain things that are really important because you know that I might be fighting you. I know that if we fight for more than 30 seconds, everyone on the map's going to hear it and they're going to be moving towards us and I have a certain yeah. amount of time before they reach here. If they reach here and they're behind us, then we're going to get third party and we're going to get pinched. So let's rotate. Let's change position. Let's put ourselves in certain positions. So you end up making smarter plays, which equate to you know whoever's going to be better it's not the most skilled uh practitioners that always win it's the ones that are more tactical and make the smarter plays which is applies to you know with everything you know you can have and i've seen this i've seen the most talented people in jiu-jitsu but they don't do very well because they do dumb stuff as well and they're not you know very intelligent with their approach yeah tactics yeah um through the lens of acting, uh, you you brought up that your parents had a camera when you were growing up. Did you always know you wanted to be an actor? I always wanted to. I never thought that I could do it. Uh, it wasn't until I hurt my knee uh, in 2014 where I snapped my ACL. I, I was doing jiu-jitsu. I was at, you know, competing uh, against Victor Severia in Polaris. Uh, and uh, I finished and I was just burnt out. I just wasn't enjoying it. I kind of felt like I lost that eye of the tiger for jiu-jitsu, I felt like I'd done everything that I wanted to do. And for me to go to the next level, it's going to require a lot more effort than what it is worth <clears throat> the reward. So next level, I mean, just like the Black Belt World Championship, like I feel like I could win at any given time right now, but I would have to put in the effort for it. And I just didn't really care about it. So I, I went back home and I started uh, coaching with my brother. We started coaching a football side. And uh, which was also interesting because I used the same tactics that we had learnt, you know, which, which I had learnt through coaching into the football team. And we had a young football team that was last on the ladder the year before. So the bottom of the ladder. And we ended up getting them to the top of the ladder the, the year after by applying just some very simple principles with their, with their training. Uh, I'll give you one example of that really quickly was we – we when we were doing drills where we would have like one person catch the ball then have to kick it to another group then they would catch it kick it to another group my brother to improve their skills wanted to he he created a rule that if you dropped or you missed the target if you drop the ball or you miss the target everybody does 10 push-ups he thought that that'll incentivize them to get better skills but what happens is it's the opposite people started slowing down a lot more and started making sure they hit their targets which they did hit their targets 
but it's because they were taking pressure off themselves and and trying to make it you know easy to do it. And then when you go into game match day, what happens is the pressure is so much higher that they're not feeling comfortable under the pressure and they start fumbling a lot more. Ooh. So what I told him to do, I said, let's change that around a little bit. Let's say to them that the only time they get push-ups is if they weren't pushing 100%. I don't care if they're pushing 100%. I know these kids want to hit the targets. They want to catch the balls. They want to. They're, they're motivated the right way for that. But if I can tell them that they don't do it at 100%, then they get push-ups, then what happens is everyone starts pushing really hard. They start putting much more pressure on themselves. They they feel more incentivized to actually hit the target and catch the ball than they're worried about not catching it because it like it looked really good because they're running so hard and then when it what they, what happened is they got so comfortable doing that then when it came to game day they just thrived under the pressure they just felt so comfortable because they did that in training all the time and they started doing really well so it's just an yeah. example of like how to sort of shift little things that make a big difference in in the mindset but i, I was coaching with them and then round five i ended up uh, i pivoted right at the end of the match and i snapped my acl and uh, I had to get surgery for that. I was at the doctor's and I remember that him saying like, uh, he's like, you've been like walking around on this knee. And I'm like, I've been running around on this knee. He's like, dude, your knee is like effed. And I was like, oh God. He's like, yeah, you, you have to get surgery before you can do anything. At the time I had no money and private health uh, would have taken a year and a half or two years to get it fixed. So I remember sitting there on, on the outside of the, the doctor's and I was just sitting, okay, well, I, I, and I was, like I felt depressed because I couldn't do what I wanted, wanted to do. And I was like, just forget that. Okay, let's move on to something that we can do. And I was like, what do I feel like doing? I'm like, acting. I've been wanting to act for a long time. Let's let, let's go into acting. So I just made a decision. I called my brother at the time who was studying film school. And I was like, man, what can, what, what do I have to do to get become an actor? And he's like, oh, you know, you need to get an agent and you need to do auditions. And uh, I was like, okay, cool. And uh, he's like, let me speak to a friend of his who was an actor. He spoke to the friend. The friend spoke to his manager. His manager contacted me and we had a meeting we got along really well and then um he's like uh yeah i'll, I'll be happy to represent you i was like well, let's go let's go and then <laughs> you know i did my first audition and i was so nervous i practiced all night with this girl that was an actor actress and uh i went and did it and the the camera's on me and i'm sweating and my heart's beating faster than any jiu-jitsu match and uh he's like okay action and i'm like so what was the first line? <laughs> I just went straight out of my head, and uh, and then I did the audition. I didn't get the role. I was I was trash. Um, yeah. And then, but then I got better and better at that. I kept trying, and then then suddenly I got a role in a, a series called Jack Irish, starring Guy Pearce, and it was just a small speaking oh, role. But yeah. I, was, I was so happy with that. I did that, uh, and then out of nowhere, this director contacts me on Facebook and says, "Hey, are you a, an actor as well as director?" I'm like, I'm, I'm only an actor. I just, I had no choice but to put actor slash director on there uh, on Facebook. That was the only option. He's yeah. like, cool, cool. I'm like, I'm a director and I'm directing a movie. Uh, would you be willing to audition? I'm thinking like, this must be like a student director or something. So I check his name and he's a big director. And I'm like, holy shit. Okay. Like, I'm like, yeah, for sure. I'll do an audition. <laughs> so I did an audition, a video audition for him. I sent it in. He really liked it. He gave me a bigger scene and asked me to, you know, gave me some, um, some direction, like changed where I was going with it. And then uh, and then I did that and he really liked that. So we had a meeting with producers. And then next thing you know, I'm getting paid, you know, fifty five thousand dollars to go film a movie in Finland, no, in uh, Belgium. And um I did you know, I did that movie and it was the most fun time in my life. That's when I realized like I need to be acting because I enjoyed this so much. I did that and then um 
I ended up having enough money to fix my knee after that. So I fixed my knee. I realized that, you know, acting, the acting journey is going to take a long time before it takes off. Like it's like a 10 year journey. I got to be very realistic with that. I'm going to try and, you know, make that happen as fast as I can. But like, I need to set myself up financially before that. And that's when I started getting into the jujitsu instructionals and, uh, which really helped me stabilize myself financially and gave me the freedom to practice all the other stuff. And, uh, and then, uh, you know, in between that, I was working on getting a visa for America, which I did last year. I finally got a visa. Then I had to become part of the SAG and you know, it's a big journey here. And then we had the pandemic and been, now it's starting to open up a little bit more. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing a lot more acting now, but it was definitely mm-hmm. like paused because of, you know, a lot of situations that were out of my control. Um, but that's has, kind of, has jujitsu, has jujitsu helped you tap into anything in the acting community? There's so many uh, great actors, directors, you know, guys like Guy Ritchie and David Mamet and uh, who else is out there? You know, there's so many of these. There's this, what's that great guy? That guy, he's like, uh, he had that MMA show on Showtime. Anyway, are you hooked up with any of these guys? Is it, is it, is I've the met networking a lot. work? Yeah, no, it definitely helps. Like I was teaching a lot of, uh, teaching a lot of jiu-jitsu at 87-11 and they do like the John Wick films and, yeah. and Chad, I train with him, Chad Stowelski, and he, you know, directs and writes John Wick and they do a lot of other stuff. So there's a lot of good connections in there, um, which I've been able to utilize and, and meet a lot of people that I wouldn't normally be able to meet. Uh, I try not to go down that path as much because I don't really want to be a stunt actor and I don't want to be just a fight actor. I want to be a, a real, you know, like a, a proper three-dimensional actor and sometimes sometimes it's good that it'll open the door but sometimes it also puts you in a category which i don't really want to be so uh, it's very often that i'll talk to these guys and they have no idea that i actually act and they just think that oh you know just you're a fighter you know so i i try and i try and you know mitigate that as much as i can in, in any way i can but it's definitely open a lot of doors that I wouldn't normally open and also training and teaching. I get to train some, you know, with great actors. I, you know, I've been training with Joel Kinnaman sometimes. Um, I was teaching Aaron Taylor Johnson, uh, the, you know, star of Kick-Ass. You know, they're, they're in a lot of big movies. Um, what's his name? He's just filmed the second. Joel Kinnaman's just filmed the second. Um, what is it? What is it? Suicide Squad. So oh. he's doing really well, which is great. By the way, Frank Grillo is the is the name I was searching for before. I don't know if you ever. Oh uh, yeah, I know. I've met him twice. Uh, yeah. he's, he's dating a friend of mine, so I've seen him twice in in Venice. We haven't trained or anything, but uh, I'm sure it will happen. Yeah, he's he's funny. I like that guy. Yeah. He's a well, beast. Kit, um, I'm such a fan of your philosophy that you have. I think it's so right on. It connected with me in a lot of ways. Uh, unfortunately, I wasn't able to get to the, the level that I would dream of in jujitsu, but everything that you describe is perfectly applicable to business as well. And for those people who want to excel in business or acting or any, or, or online gaming in order to get there faster, um, a principled approach versus just a technical approach, taking action and learning and failing is definitely the way, uh, or at least one way that I found to be very successful. So I, I appreciate your time and, uh, just thank you for everything that you do. And, um, I appreciate all of your work that you've done over the years. Thank you, man. Thank you for having me on. It was, it was a lot of fun talking to you and stuff. So I appreciate that too, mate. Yep. When I'm, uh, when I'm out in California next, I'll hope to look you up and come visit. Are you, do you have your own Academy now? Or are you training at an Academy? Where, where no, you no, I'm, 
No, I'm just sort of like I, I plot around. I just do little open little sessions. I organize myself with some people. I have some private students, but mainly it's the online academy that I'm that I'm really sort of pushing right now. I've thought about doing like a home academy. The problem is, is I have so many other interests and, you know, yeah. with acting, you just don't know when something's going to pop off and when it does, you might be gone for six months. So it's unfair on my students if I'm, if I'm traveling like that. So I, I've steered away from a physical academy other than just teaching certain private students. Um, but yeah, I just organize small groups to train with that, you know, that I feel like I can learn from. Yeah. Well, have a great day. And once again, appreciate your time. Thank you, man. Likewise. Yep. See ya. See ya, man.